Well, hey there. Happy Friday. Thank you for tuning in and hanging out on the other side of Texas. Your host that you love the most, J.A. West Texas, leasing across the way, Queenie Catherine Wilkes, in some time, by his own time, Brandon Darby, will descend upon us, and we will take knees and kiss his rings, but I won't kiss other things. So it's uh, gearing up, got all the shows set, was just talking to Queenie about next week, and the shows are lined up, it's kind of a podcast version of radio and uh some i'll give you a little snippet of brandon rotting house even though i went back and listened to the recording it sounds like i'm saying branding branding rotting but that would be a cool name too it's a good <laughs> texas name uh we are here am 580 lubbock the historic am 580 lubbock and if i might as we get into this i have a little bit of um yeah that's the news have you heard the news i, I bet you, you have uh the federal communications commission fm broadcast translator booster construction permit given to krfe oh, yes, am580 yeah, so that's going to be coming up. Uh, be jumping over to FM. Hey, oh, the dream is to jump into some some markets. That's what we're working on here as we talk about statewide rural-based issues here on the show. But uh, here's where I want to start today is at our house right now. It is. Vacation time, and it's pretty stressful. Like, like first world problems. This is first world problems. <laughs> and so here's the dilemma that I've got. To, and if you've got thoughts as we go along the way, 806-745-5800. Right after the show, we can leave and start driving to Lake City. Lake City is nine and a half hours away. So we can start driving. Is your mic on? Yeah, it's oh, on. Okay. Can't hear you over the uh, Lindsey Buckingham in the background. <laughs> um, so we can drive. We can knock out four hours tonight, get somewhere about 10, 11 o'clock. So you're leaving right after the show? Yes. Wow. So we can pull out and go. Mm-hmm. I still have to pack my bag. I've got all the fishing gear, all that stuff's loaded up. I mean, it's organized and ready to go. But the alternative is to get up, get everything loaded and ready, and then at about 5.30, take off. Because the check-in is at 2 Mm p.m. That's the dilemma right now. So we could take off and drive till you know, 10, 11 o'clock tonight. And, but here's the downside. You got to get two hotel rooms whenever you're the leasons. Because <laughs> there are six of us. And yeah. I was telling Charity today, look, I don't want to do a thing where we pay for one hotel room. to do. We're just, we're too big for that now. So to do one hotel room 
and pay a hundred and seventy bucks, mm-hmm. or and get a forty dollar night's worth of sleep. That's <laughs> that's what I want to avoid. So it's going to turn into like a three hundred dollar deal. Mm-hmm. But is it worth it to be there, like to roll in, hang out for about three hours before we check in? I mean, I don't know. Okay. That it's it's a I'm tossing coin right now. I'm not sure which way you want want to go with all that. Uh, I'll take some thoughts if you got them. Eight oh six seven four five fifty eight hundred to stay or to not to stay because that's a pretty long drive tomorrow. And the more I think about it, the more I want to leave tonight and knock out a few hours because to just arrive at the destination, which has no electricity at 2 p.m., it's going to be pretty aggressive, like getting out of the car after nine and a half hours, except it's a Lincoln, so I'll sit there and, like, roll my mystery booger like Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) be like, oh, kids, like, here's what we ought to do is we ought to face, face, uh, Facebook Live, yeah, and run, like, on one side of the screen, Matthew McConaughey driving in his Lincoln, Mm -hmm. and then us in our Navigator, (laughs) And it's like uh, commercial reality versus true reality. Because that's what that thing's going to look like. Uh, next week, we do have uh, some interviews lined up. And I wanted to play a little snippet for you of our interviews with uh, Brandon Roddinghouse. And for you to see, uh, those of you who are familiar may not be familiar with Texas politics, uh, Brandon Roddinghouse is a professor and this dude's like on top of Texas politics and like with a 75 year lens and maybe 100 125 year lens he knows what he's talking about and so we have a five part conversation coming up with him next week one part one is the origins of the Texas legislature how this all came about now part two is the governor part three is the lieutenant governor who presides over the senate uh, part four is the house, a historical look at the house, then and now, and then the house versus the Senate versus, no, the house versus the Senate and the Senate versus the house. And uh, I'll play a little snippet. I'm just going to start at a random selection here. Uh, this is Brandon Roddinghouse's, which you can expect next week on this program each day next week for about it varies 15 to about 25 minutes per part individual and agent in the house um and early on although we now kind of think about government as a um uh, as sort of functional through parties there weren't really parties per se early on what we had were kind of those who were with Sam Houston and those who were against Sam mm-hmm. Houston, and that really split the state. Um, there's a great quote from Colonel James Morgan, who, when Houston was running for a second term, uh, said that old Sam Houston, with all his faults, appears to be the only man for Texas. He is still unsteady and intemperate, but drunk in a ditch is worth a thousand of Lamar and Burnett, uh, the prior president and, and the subsequent president. So uh, there were some strong feelings, Jay, as there are now. Yeah, I mean... You know, I'll give Sam Gwynn, who's been on this program, credit for, uh, we've all seen it, but he really writes about and understands Texas in such a way that leading up into those congresses, you've had 
uh, pioneers, and then you've had folks who've fought at the Alamo, who've taken on Mexico, and are just short of being involved in the, a civil war, and they're not going to have a good temperament towards centralized government. Yeah, there's no doubt that this was out of a reaction to what they were sensing in terms of the, 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 the environment. So the Mexican government had not been good to Texas for quite a while before the revolution. They had done everything they could to kind of quash the growth of Texas, even though initially the goal was to populate Texas. So it's not surprising that um, they ended up, um, you know, the Texas government ended up where they did. Um, the problem for the first Congresses was that they faced some fairly serious problems. I mean, although the spirit and the kind of goals of the Republic were laudable and are, as you said, kind of make it historically really fascinating, they were not prepared to govern. <laughs> and the kind of questions they dealt with, like what to do with Santa Ana, who was still like in the possession of the Texians, uh, was really a question. Uh, Provisional President Burnett um, essentially said he would kick the question to the first Congress. Well, the first Congress decided that um, they uh, were going to challenge Sam Houston on what to do. Houston said that he wanted to send Santa Ana to Washington to make a treaty with Jackson. The Senate and ultimately decided to keep Santa Ana in Texas. Houston vetoed the resolution, so there was a lot of controversy over what to do about that. Um, the biggest problem that the state faced at the time, or the Republic faced at the time, was debt. They had about $1.2 million in war debt, and they were basically flat broke. Well, the one thing they did have was a lot of land, that about $200 million, 200 million acres of public land. Uh, so some of that was promised to veterans and volunteers uh, during, during the revolution. Uh, but they were going to try to leverage that land to try to pay off some debts. Um, problem is, Jay, when you know bad luck of the early uh, Texas Republic, the Panic of 1836, which was a sort of nationwide uh, panic, uh, nationwide uh, depression, squashed the ability of the Republic to issue um, bonds to be able to basically borrow against the acreage that they had. Um, Texans also don't like taxes. <laughs> uh, and uh, so there were concerns about adding money, revenue taxes, uh, or through uh, the customs, uh, which the state imposed, but uh, had some difficulty trying to, um, trying to navigate successfully. Um, the other big issue was just they weren't sure how to deal with the political and economic interconnections. This has been a, a long-standing fight and a long-standing <laughs> so this problem isn't new. Texas. <laughs> this is not new, no. Um, one of my favorite Jim Hightower quotes is that, you know, remember that, you know, Christ in the Bible was, you know, drove, drove out the money changers from the temple, and uh, where did they go? But right to the Texas legislature, right? Um, so the first controversy that was a real political consequence was that um, the state had to charge private banks. Uh, what they did was they ended up chartering one called the Texas Railroad Navigation and Banking Company. Well, it turns out that the charter members of this organization were two eminent politicians uh, who were also serving in the Texas Senate. So the interplay has been pretty profound for a lot of years. Oh, and now we're, now we're concerned, and I think rightfully, about fundraising during special session. Yeah. <laughs> Small yeah. comparatively. Uh, True, yeah, but the same problems remain, though. Yeah, so let's fast forward. Okay, so you get a, a feel for what that's going to look like next week with Brandon Roddinghouse. I mean, just throwing out all the stuff there, Roddinghouse. It's really, really impressive. And looking forward to your thoughts and comments on that. Brandon Darby just walked in in his overalls. 
glad that you're here. You've been out on the tractor. I have, yeah. I've been uh, putting up a hot wire on my property. And, uh, you know, a little, little bit involved, more than I thought, you know. Hadn't really been back there to look at it that way, you know, and think about all the brush I have to clear to have, you know, to get to the post. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about you today, Darby, in this new world order where where technology like but realistically you think about me every day you do i think about you every day we're good friends we are good friends yes braddock was on the show on monday and we had this intro blue collar bill read us some intros and he said when you're friends with the lubbock county when you're best friends with the lubbock county uh, militia you get your own radio show other side of texas with jay leeson and braddock was on hold he heard that and I said, yeah, that's the uh, euphemism for Brandon Darby, the uh, <laughs> Lubbock County Militia. But uh, I was thinking about you because this this New World Order thing where you have a conversation with somebody on the phone and then you go and you scroll through Facebook and it suggests to you ads. And you know what it suggested to me today? And I didn't, I should have taken a screenshot of it, but it was some new highfalutin uh, barbed wire ring where you can, it's like something Jaws is a sponsored post. It showed me a couple of guys I know who like this page and it's some really easy way to thread your barb, or sorry, your electric fence through the wire through this. And I thought, how else would they know that about me? How often do I talk about electric fences with people? They heard me. They heard me Some with algorithm Darby. Or something. And something that ends with, it's Jaws, but it ends with a Z. That's the only thing you I know, Honestly, doing it the old way was just putting the things on the post and the insulators on the post. It just, it really works out just fine. You don't have to do all that stuff, you know. That's not really something that needs much improvement. You know what I mean? Okay. But um, but so, it has been an interesting uh, week or two, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to queue up your week. Here in a second, we're going to go to break, but here's another thing that we need to be talking about throughout the program. I've got the option right now of leaving after the show, and we take vacation. We're, we're going on vacation, and... The question on the table is, do we leave? We'll leave at about 7 o'clock. Get four hours down the road, four or five hours, to Lake City, nine and a half hours away, with kids. Get five hours down the road tonight, four hours, about 11 o'clock, wake up in the morning, and then knock out the next five. Check in tomorrow's at 2 do you go ahead and knock out the five hours tonight, eat $300 in hotel rooms, or do you leave in the morning at 5.30, do the whole thing straight through, and then arrive at check, check-in time? Uh, I would probably d- drive. I'd probably drive tonight and tomorrow. Okay. That's okay. what I would do, but it would depend on financially what was going on, right? Like... Some months I, I would go, you know what, that $300 I'm going to spend is worth it for me to save. Other months I'd say, you know what, I have it and I can so spend that. So it's a pure financial issue. Pure financial. Okay. All right. Well, 
other side's doing pretty well. Let's, uh, I'll think about it. Oh, are we on now? Yeah. We're sitting here talking about Queenie's personal life and got all caught up. Sorry. <laughs> uh, this segment brought to you by Racer Car Wash. Vroom, vroom. That's me in that VIP line. Voted Lubbock's best wash round for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across the hub city for the best wash around. Guaranteed. They're at racerwash.com. I use the one on 50th, and I use the one on University, and I just change it up. I like to uh, change it up a little bit. Wherever I'm closest, I just zoom in. Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas, uh, America's Patriot, Brandon Darby, <laughs> in his overalls. What did the Texas Monthly call you? The uh, rabble, rabble Rouser. Rabble Rouser. America's Rabble Rouser. Which, which I was honored to be in that list. But honestly, like knowing me now, like am I really that much of a Rabble Rouser? Um, yeah. Am I? Yeah. I, I do stir it up, don't I? I try to when I, when I care about something. Yeah. But I don't know if rabble rouser is the right way to say it. I mean, I don't know what all we need to talk about behind microphones, but, I mean, people get pretty stressed out whenever you get bent. Well, it depends on what it is. If it's something I'm being a fool about, then probably not. But if I'm if I'm right about it, you know, it, it's just like what happens and, you know, people choose how to use their platform, right? So if you have a platform and, you know, back in the day with Breitbart, you know, I think when Andrew died, we had like 800,000 people visiting our website a month. That's a pretty big platform. Now we're like 45 million people, you know? That's a huge platform. And so you can decide how to use the platform. And some people use it for different... People use it for different reasons. I like to use mine when I see a problem. I like to find all the people affected by the problem and kind of get them together and address the problem. And I like to do it that way. Well, consequently, uh, if you if that's your style, um, and you find a problem like that, and there's so many other people affected by it, it's really easy to get a big momentum behind you because it's something that affects people, right? Yeah. Let's talk about problems for just a moment. Last, well, two weeks ago, I left this show. You called in. You killed me in the headline game. Curtis Parrish was the I judge. Tore, tore you up. Yeah. While you were looking at Millie. And he, and labor, not heat, sorry. <laughs> giving birth. Giving birth, yeah. And you still killed me in the headline game. Now, fast forward to so last it was crown, weekend. I was crowning. Yeah. So I had a little time. I've seen the pictures, yeah. Mm -hmm. So. So Millie's my milk cow. And she's my first cow. That's some good context. Yeah, she's my first cow. I live on ten and a quarter acres west of town, and um, you know, just trying to have milk and and have you know eggs and have different things and kind of go in that direction with uh, you know the resources I make in my position now of kind of going in that direction, looking for more land and have maybe a few animals and and maybe produce on a small scale right local scale like i'm really into the farm to table thing and um <clears throat> millie's my first cow and when i bought millie she was kind of a rescue jersey in a way because she only had two working udders and um 
which was fine for me, and she was probably going to be someone's ground meat. So I bought Millie, and uh, for a very reduced price for a jersey. And she was kind of a mean cow, and then she became a very sweet cow. She just needed to be loved and be cared about, and someone be consistent with her. She became a very sweet cow, and she, but I found out that she was pregnant. Uh, I had a lot of life experiences from Millie, like learning about the shortage of small animal vets. That got me into the politics between A&M and all these big wigs in the state, using their clout to do favors for A&M, making sure that Texas Tech doesn't get a vet school, all the dirty stuff going on behind the scenes, which I think is dirty. I think it's unfair and dirty. Um, that got me into that. And then sure enough, finally, after all this anticipation and work, Millie starts to have her baby. <clears throat> There's the context. Okay. So go ahead. Well, so she had. So uh, well, yeah. So last weekend, you and I are talking, and things take a pretty bad turn. Right, the calf was not doing okay, and uh, what had happened was Millie had mastitis. I didn't know it, and um, so the calf wasn't getting enough milk and didn't get enough colostrum. So just everything that could go wrong went wrong. But then here, here's you know me as a single dad with a little girl and this is her first cow too and this is her first calf so you know the willingness I had to do whatever I could for that calf not only just because it's a sweet little animal but because of the daughter factor uh, there wasn't a lot I wasn't willing to do so that's a lot of pressure at that point well it's a lot of pressure plus there's a sweet little innocent animal you know Mm -hmm. dying in my arms and so um you know, I finally, I went through a lot of trouble to find uh, a vet that, that was available on the weekend. Uh, Friday night's when I noticed it. Saturday was the day I was really trying to find a vet. And a lot of folks don't realize this, but large animal vets just mostly in this area, there's not a lot. And the ones that are here are usually do large herds. Um, and they're just not available. Like, you know, like it's almost as if some people think that, I know people have to have lives too, I get it. But it's almost as if, you know, like, you can have a vet as long as it happens between nine and five, you know, on a weekday. So let me ask a heartless economic question. Mm-hmm. At that point, if you find a vet and the vet says, yeah, I can come out to your place, it's going to be $700. Are you doling that out at that point? Uh, most people would not over a cow, uh, over a calf, a bull calf. Um, the way I was looking at it was like, okay, how much would I spend for my daughter not to be heartbroken you know so looking at it that way yeah yeah i would dole it out yeah but that's not what i found what i found was a i found a, and and the guy's not a an advertiser here and i'm, I'm gonna say it I, I found i finally got a hold through you um you know if you google large animal vet it doesn't come up but i found this place caprock uh veterinary clinic uh with dr cody kaufman and he had a. He was the only one that said our office is closed. But if it's an emergency, call my cell phone. So I called his cell phone, and sure enough, uh, he said, "Well, go and get your calf, milk the mom, bring as much milk as you can, and we're going to tube feed this calf because the calf was almost unresponsive, you know." Mm-hmm. And um, then when I went to milk Millie, I realized what the problem was: the calf wasn't getting milk. So um, I took the, I loaded up the calf in my jeep. <laughs> and then I put on the horse trailer and loaded up Millie and went and got them both treated. And then after that, it turned into every two or three hours, I was, you know, trying to force feed this uh, calf and give it electrolytes and milk and whatever and uh, milk replacer. And it went on for several days. I was starting to get delirious. 
and then it took a real bad turn for the worse and that was kind of that was kind of it um at that point you know you what was that point sunday afternoon uh, i don't recall um a couple days ago and uh it it took a real bad turn and so uh it was in the evening and so i um you know called you and then i kind of got resigned that it was going to die and i just was sweet to it and comforted it and then um some people encouraged me so i tried to force feed it again and then it got up for a minute and it was okay not okay but it was you know alive and um then it took another turn for the worst five minutes later and my daughter was upset so long story short i I found out about a a hospital a 24-hour animal hospital in la misa and uh, I took the calf there, and then they decided... Which is about an hour... About an hour and a half, yeah. hour and 45 or something at night, you know? From um, where you are. <clears throat> from where I am. And um, so I took the calf there, and then six people ran out and started IVs, grabbing my calf. And on one hand, I was comforted because my daughter's seeing me do everything I can for her calf. But on the other hand, I was like, my wallet started to throb you know because i saw six people care for this calf and i'd already spent so much money on this calf and um they did everything they could and then they finally just kind of came back and said look man like i can keep spending your money but it's not happening and the animal's suffering and so i said okay and they put it down brought it back put her in the pasture with millie and let millie have some time with her uh, him and then buried him you know and to this day, days later, Millie still goes in that last spot. She saw her calf and moves, you know, starts mo- bellowing, which I think is horrible, you know. So consequently, Millie, with now one work in udder that half works, um, gets fed probably more cattle cubes and sweet feed than any cow in the Lubbock area, you know. <laughs> and... um just trying to be sweet to her so that's been my experience but again it just kind of reinforces the the difficulties that a it reinforces that there are a lot of really good vets here who care and um you know i'm going to say something it's probably it's a private conversation but it it casts the the guy in a really good light so i'm going to tell you what happened that vet i was telling you about the cody kaufman guy from caprock i was talking to him the day and i said okay i'm giving her the antibiotics i'm doing x y and z really matters to me my cow's okay you know i really need this cow to do okay he's like no i get it she's kind of like a pet i said that she's like a pet you know not like part of my herd she's a pet and um he said okay and i said but i you know i appreciate that you were available and he said well being a a vet is kind of like being a pastor or a preacher if you can't be available when people need you you might as well just throw in the towel you know and I thought, man, I'm a lucky guy to find somebody like that, you mm-hmm. know, because not everybody's like that. Like a lot of, and I'm not going to name anybody, but a lot of the large animal vets here, when I first got Millie, they were, they refused to, they're like, ah, we don't really just see one cow. We see large herds. And it's like, yeah, but I have one cow. I'll take the cow to you. I'll pay you two or three times, whatever. Like, and they're like, we just see large herds. I mean, if you come, I guess maybe we can fit you in, maybe. And it's like, you know, so what I began to realize Emma, we can get real deep on this economically with the, the the you know the producer, the the distributor, the the sales. Like we can get real deep into how we do things in Texas. But the bottom line is, I think things that were initially intended to help people and to to prevent large people from taking over, you know, everything, every aspect of production. I think that's kind of been turned around and is now used to prevent small people from getting involved in production. You know. 
and some of the the circumstances uh, when it comes to the lack of large animal vets, you know, or it comes to the lack of, you know, like uh, the licensed places to slaughter your chickens or, you know, the uh, being nearby. And people say, well, that's because there's not a lot of demand. And I would say, well, there's not a lot of demand because there's not the infrastructure here to, to make it work, you know? Yeah. And um, the question becomes, what is the precipice <coughs> of, what's the threshold of demand? Is it the guy who wants to make 60 a year or is it the guy who wants to make 300? But, l- but let's not five. let's be honest. Like if if I were to go to Leveland where I think they have economic issues, right? Or if I were to go to any of the small towns around Lubbock, I bet you there's probably a whole handful of young men and women and older men and women who they would be happy as heck to make five thousand extra dollars a year producing chickens on their two acres. You know what I mean? Or three thousand dollars a year you know what i mean some economic incentive you know like a i i I would imagine so there's when it comes to all this mess about small production and and the struggles you go through trying to do get involved in it um and i'm not knocking the lubbock area we have a like i said we have we have some vets who really really care you know obviously really care to the point that you can call them at midnight and they'll get up and talk to you about your cow you know um about your single lone cow, you know, even though it doesn't probably benefit them that much to deal with it, <clears throat> other than that's the right thing to do or they care about animals. So we have a lot of pluses here if you're trying to get into small production or get a cow or a few, um, or a, a, a few head, but we do have a lot of limitations. And I, I really think that if there were some, you know, if, you know, a lot of people on the right, which I can say, I'm, yeah, I'm a Breitbart editor, obviously I consider myself on the right. But a lot of people on the right, they seem to not have a problem when the state engages in using tax dollars for for economic development in in wealthy suburban areas, right, to get tech companies here, to get, they seem to be totally okay with it. So then if I say, well, let's use some of those economic development dollars and let's spur some some small food production or small ag production in these surrounding communities that really don't have anything going on, all of a sudden they call us a prairie socialist or call me a leftist or... And I'm like, well, what, well, you didn't seem to mind it whenever those economic dollars, the tax dollars were being used in, in well, the suburbs outside different. of Tarrant County. Return on investment, man. That's different. No, but bro. we talk about, let's talk no, about return on so investment. So I'm being suburbitarian with no, you. No, I know, but I'm telling you. So, yeah, so, so show it's me how it's going to be return on investment up there. Right. Up there I, I, I think it would be amazing return on investment if, if we did something to encourage small ag production. I mean, imagine a situation where rather than Tyson Chicken, right, providing all the chickens, imagine you had 100 small producers, you know, like not getting a, a 10 cents a head or mm-hmm. a chicken from, from uh, Tyson's or whatever the hell they pay because it's really not much. I read all about it. It's a pretty horrible situation, what they do. No. Um, but imagine you had a situation like that where people where it was it was much easier and you encouraged people to work out deals or a cooperative to work out deals with natural grocers or to work out deals with different places and then and then they could meet the organizing body could meet those demands um, you could do that and spur economic development get a lot of, of young people um, you know involved in something where they might not have too many opportunities you could do a lot of really good stuff with that um, you know and I'm not saying you know like it's it's great to use tax dollars for whatever I'm just saying the other side of Texas doesn't seem to mind taking those tax dollars um, for for their economic development, and I think people out here should get a little more vocal about 
about some of those for theirs. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I've been thinking about the uh, speaking in rural terms right now. What if we transformed the cooperative model to not just be direct from the field, but you began to, and there are people I've heard discuss this before, but if you, if somehow you meshed in state legislation the right to have a crossover, a hybrid of LLC and cooperative to where in a small community you're doing you know, Rawls, Texas is producing computer parts, or Idaloo is pumping out tractor parts, or you know, Morton, I mean, you just look across the board, and so they're doing production-based stuff, and then these communities now, I'm going down the cooperative line you just laid down, but I, like, this is what really gets my bag, is we're, we keep on talking, and I hear a lot of politicians talk about rural Texas in a past tense, like, that, those days are over, well, what's the cost of that going to be and don't i won't get on a soapbox there but why not some some legislation that gives incentives for rural production like have we tried that yet i don't think we've tried that yet no, we really and, and so they're like oh well it's all you know this all grapes of wrath and and now the rural guys are being routed because mechanized agriculture is coming in and there's just not much well yeah there's something you can do about it you represent these districts do something the hell about it and i'm just thinking about like in the cooperative model you just threw out marlboro whenever i was in kentucky i met a bunch of tobacco growers and i'm going to do this i'm going to tell a story about the tobacco growers and how they stood up against big tobacco and made a good living for themselves but hey this segment brought to you by title one lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company you get that sphincter flex whenever it comes time to open that contract these guys got you covered all the way from the time the contract opens until it closes title title one committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service see how title one can serve your realty consumer and lending needs at title one.com well now wait a minute now you just made me associate title one with sphincters a sphincter Ah, what's happening i'm scared like stay up at night like past 2 a.m., like all these thoughts going through blood your Blood pressure and rises. That's yeah. a better. Associate, associate them with alleviating blood pressure, not with like, you don't use the sphincter. No, I mean, that, you, whenever you get the sphincter flex, you want people who know what they're doing. Title One. I don't. Help you out there. Would you use that term? I, I don't <laughs> think I would. Title1.com. <laughs> Avoid the sphincter flex. Go to title flex. Like, no, man. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would just call that like anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> when your blood pressure rises. But people don't hear. That's the beauty of it. You know, like when you're driving down the road and, like, people don't have advertising on their billboard and see we made you look, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I just did. You they, made us focus on sphincters. Just sphincter flex. Yeah. <laughs> that's not good. Ah! Uh, that's so not good. in Kentucky, check it out. Here's here's what happened. What went down was Marlboro was paying futures on tobacco production. And they take a... And I wish I knew more about tobacco as a as a product, but we live where we live. So, you know, I don't know much about 
uh, about row crops that grow in humidity. So, or in limestone for that matter. But Marble came in and they began to lower their prices more and more and more so that these guys got really fed up these kentucky tobacco growers and they just started their own cooperative they said well you know tail cakes with all that and marlboro we're done like marlboro go in and buy pallets 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 of their tobacco and they started their own cooperative and there are these cigarettes that a lot of people who still smoke in kentucky smoke called kentucky's best and it is exactly the same tobacco as is in Marlboro's. And everybody knows it. But it's cheaper. And everybody smokes it. This isn't like the grizzly equivalent of Skull. Right? This is like two exact same products. Horizon milk and the other organic milk. I guess. That's a but, dollar cheaper. But I tell you what, to your point. That came from the same vat. That kind of thing. My wife will drive to Abernathy. And get, uh, they don't advertise, so I'm not going to drop their name. But she will buy, she could go down to the grocery store, right? And it's like 20 miles closer and pay a price. But she drives and pays the price. So I think she pays seven, eight bucks for a gallon of that milk. Well, she, she could do that at the grocery store. She could do it in Abernathy. So she goes to Abernathy. So to your point about, yeah, there is a market there. There's a market for small producers. Let's just give it the opportunity to get some legs. And my question, though, Brandon, is are we at a point now where we capitulate so much to large interests that we would never let that see the opportunity to do cooperatives, cooperatives slash LLCs in Texas, because you don't want to upset major, let's just get to the bottom line, major political donors. Well, eventually that's going to change. I mean, it's unsustainable, and, and you know, especially with large... How so? Well, I'll tell you. So with large ca- large cattle production, you know, like I, I was having a conversation this morning with someone, about this very thing and and they called me and it's someone who's a vegetarian you know and I said you know the problem with what you're saying about how much land it takes versus to to raise a cow versus to grow this or I said the problem with what you're saying is you guys you guys always forget that you act like an acre is an acre no matter where it is you guys always forget that out here in West Texas we have some land especially if you get off the cap rock right that you're just not going to grow anything in, right? Like you're gonna you're gonna either have an animal eating, eating the sparse greenery or the sparse yeah, uh, vegetation, or you're just not going to grow anything. It's not like you know an acre on this side of 35 is the same as an acre on that side, yeah. right? Uh, for Rose the crops being much more doable up on the cap rock, but you can you can run a lot more head of cattle per acre off the cap rock in. Well, towards so, the big country. Well, so my point is, is that I think the most sustainable way, you know, like if if you if you're out on acreage, and the acreage isn't great, it's not like you're out in Winnie, Texas, or something where you can have one head per acre, right? And mm-hmm. and then survive on the greenery where it rains all the time. But you're you're out this way, um, you know. A lot of times, what happens they they cram a lot more animals onto a piece of land than maybe 
the land could sustain itself. So then they have to engage in feeding the animal things grown on other pieces of land, right? Which can largely be avoided um, in some situations. Not necessarily, as I, I'm not 100% grass-fed kind of guy, but but I do think that it's it's best. So I, I think that ultimately sustainability. Um, we're eventually, as a nation, we're going to go to small local production. It's going to make more sense to do it. Um, and what's going to happen is more and more people, you know, you already have, you know, culture comes ahead of politics. That's something Andrew used to, Breitbart used to always say, and it's something that I think I think is a is a acceptable, you know, generally accepted. Culture comes before politics. Culturally, we're seeing a, a on a national level, we're seeing a back to the land movement. We're seeing a lot of of yuppies try to move out to piece, small pieces of land and start to become producers. Um, and and sell them at you know either sell them for an increased price from their land or sell them at farmers markets or make out make deals with with local grocery stores and what have you. We're starting to see that culturally take over. You know people are starting to learn about the way that sometimes, you know it's just like if if you buy meat from me, like like my I loved my animals right like I spent all kinds of money trying to take care of an, of, of a beef cow, a bull cow that was going to be beef someday, you know, because it would have been too mean someday to keep and dangerous, right? Most likely. Um, but, but it's still a living animal. And so yeah, people are going to want to spend a little more for an animal they know was, that was treated humanely and decently instead of uh, an animal that was treated like, you know, like, and, I mean, get on YouTube and look at how some, some farms and some, uh, some slaughterhouses treat animals. People are going to want that and so I think culturally that's already happening. You're starting to see an awareness. You're starting to see people get involved. You're starting to see people question, like like we did with the small, uh, with the craft breweries, right? You're starting to see people question uh, the the rules that are set up in a way that 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 maybe again they were started in a w- in an effort to stop the big guy from taking over everything, but but now they're actually preventing the small guy from 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 you know from uh, entering entering the arena right and having a seat at the table and i think that's already happening culturally so eventually people people will uh turn to to local production and to smaller production it's just a natural i think it's a natural progression sorry if some people are listening who go i you know i'm ahead of so-and-so and we're the biggest beef distributor and the okay well i'm just telling you eventually um Eventually, just like in grocery stores now, you see almost all of them have craft beers, right? They didn't used to have that. They used to have Budweiser and Milwaukee's Best and Coors, you know. And that's not that, it's not that way anymore. Yeah. And and so um, they a lot of them have as much space dedicated to, to craft breweries, breweries, brew as they do to to the to the major distributors or to the major uh, producers. So I think that culturally, that's where we're going. And I think as people begin to unite politically, as people out in rural areas begin to go, hey, you know what? Um, I'm not going to vote against my economic interests anymore. Like, you guys over there, you Republicans who are perfectly fine, like like using tax dollars for economic development on that side of Texas, you're going to use some of that over here, you know, and you're going to use it in a smart way. Um, I think that, that um, that's just an inevitable thing, you yeah. know. You know, Brandon Darby, it does, Brandon Darby in studio, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't think that we gave you the, uh, we didn't give you what you deserved whenever you came in, which is a big round of applause. So we're going to do that now. (laughs) My wife chiming in with some updates about, we can stay in Dalhart tonight. 
for 115 a room. How many rooms do you need? We need two. You can't cram six people. I'm, I'm over that. I'm I'm past it now. That's that's a bad night's sleep. I was telling Queenie earlier, that's shelling out two hundred and thirty dollars for a forty dollar night's worth of sleep. It's just not worth it. Kids up, six o'clock, run around. And that's if somebody doesn't eat something that they shouldn't have eaten and winds up throwing up all night. Like that's another thing oh. that, that happens. That happens. So I just can't wrap my mind around the we really need to encourage legislators, Brandon Darby, to begin to use some imagination here on some solutions for economic problems. Because to me, if we walk lockstep with big corporate entities, then we're not going to have any opportunity through legislation here. That, that's my thought. And all it's going to wind up being is, and these people do great work, and I don't mean to deride them in any way, but economic development groups, the onus is going to be put on them to come up with something rather than legislators coming up with something. And I think that's a bad way forward. You know, it's really simple. Like, um, I guess a lot of my life I've been an organizer, you know, and I guess in in theory I, I use my news platform to continue to organize I just don't do it for overt political power like some people do right like I, I'm i trying to organize others to cover what's happening in northern Mexico because I feel like those people don't have a voice right with our cartel chronicles um, I'm trying to organize people there to, to speak up with what they know organize people here to cover it more right um and to, to have more of an education of what goes on there. So everything's organized. But you'd be surprised if you can find a hundred other people who are in a similar spot that you are in, you know, the spot you're in. Um, and you go to your state rep's office with a hundred people, you know, representing a hundred people. That's a big deal to them. You know, they're going to pay attention to you. You can find 200 people. You can find a hundred people and, and each of them bring two relatives. You're going to get your way. You know, and that's one of the things that, like, I, I really kind of have a bad taste in my mouth about politics after the last few years. You know, I just don't, I don't really enjoy to be engaged in it. You know, but because of what? Uh, I just think most people involved in pol. I think politics attracts. I think power attracts really bad people. I say this all the time. I think political media attracts really bad people. Um, some people are good people. Some people running for office or in office are good people. There's some of them locally I think very highly of. Some of them locally I don't think highly of at all as people. Um, I think politics and political media uh, largely attracts narcissists or people who are so far along that spectrum that they're almost maybe even sociopathic when it comes to certain things. Um, I, I find them to be kind of disgusting. Like I don't enjoy being in D.C., there's some good people there, but there's probably more bad people because historically power attracts really bad people. That's what it has historically done. Yep. Um, power over others, power over men, right? A man's desire to, to reign over others uh, doesn't usually attract the best people. Uh, so I don't really, you know, I, I got to have a lot of experiences with, with Bannon 
and uh, being in my position at Breitbart and, and what ultimately happened with the White House and Bannon going to the White House. And then, you know, I, I got to experience a lot of things. And what I determined is that on that level, getting things done and things that are promised or things that you believe are going to happen, they generally don't happen. You know, like like it, doing things on a local level really does affect a lot more change for a lot of things. You know, not not everything can be done on a local level. But I generally just don't like politics. So my, my whole attitude is like I don't go to your political bars. I don't go to your political fun- functions or your dances or your balls. or I don't go. I just don't want to do all that stuff. But ultimately, if somebody's really stepping outside of, of what's beneficial to their district, in this case, my district, eventually, like... I'm going to get motivated by it and I'm going to try to take them out, you know, I'm going to try to point out what they're doing. Um, so I, I just generally don't want to get involved in politics, you know, uh, generally, uh, I think that we're kind of lucky that, you know, I think, uh, you know, as far as on a congressional level, on a federal level, I think we have somebody who cares about us there. Um, I think that's a good thing, but, but when we start getting into, state reps and stuff i think my state rep is a pretty caring person who int- has the interests of rural people at heart ken king ken king I, I do believe that about him you know his tone's a little harsh for me sometimes the things he says like i wouldn't say him that way but i think i think what he advocates for in his heart i think it's in the right place you know and like i'm 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 happy that he's there but like your state rep i i don't i don't dislike him but i don't i don't particularly think i think he's caught up on that power trip of 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 republicans on the other side of the state who um seem to think that there's only 10 counties in texas that matter and and i think he got elected by the by this county that we're in right now and um and he thinks that the only counties that matter are those 10 or 15 over that he was appointed okay so so my point is is um i'm not you know don't know him as a person not the biggest fan uh from what i do um but that's how I feel about most politicians. I don't. I don't care for them. I don't think you know. Generally, the people attracted to power are not um, are not to the best people. Sometimes they are, but generally they're not. You know, generally we're dealing with narcissists, right? So, we're dealing with people who it's all about them, and they'd perpetually run, re- run over their granny yeah. if they thought they had to to get have power to keep yeah. power. Um, and so, but when you're dealing with people like that, uh, it's kind of like dealing with bullies, like. The way you handle it is you try to be cool, you try to be nice, and ultimately, if they keep voting against your interests or going against your interests or voting for bills against your interests, the way you deal with it is you stand up to them. And you go, look, man, here's a deal. This is what we could do here. We could be creative. You're not being creative at all. In fact, you're just kind of going by and trying to, obviously, trying to get along with those people down there and um, and, and, and have act more access to power for yourself. So if you're not going to do anything creative, if you're not going to do anything inventive, you know, or risky. New, uh, then you know maybe you don't need to be there. No, uh, we've missed out. I got so imbued in this conversation, missed out on headline game. So I do have one story I want to read you, and I want you to come up with your best headline. We're going to integrate. I might do it. Rural to urban here. Let's try it. In the Neptune Township of New Jersey, that's what we'll close out with here. Police said this week that they got a call concerning a pig wandering around a Dunkin Donuts shop the department 
officers said that uh, they were able to catch the well-fed hog and take him into custody for questioning. You're writing that story. It's outside of Dunkin' Donuts. A pig wondering. What's the headline? I'd probably say... Um... I'd probably say... Pig in Dunkin' Donuts reveals overfunding for local police department. (laughs) How's that? Click. Click, click. Man. Uh, Brandon Darby out here in his overalls. Thanks for taking time coming out, buddy. Taking the... uh, Taking the wheel here and co-hosting. No, I, li- I like coming out. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> yeah, I've been kind of pushing off border trips and Mexico and just kind of spending some time with my cow. You know, like working on my cow and trying to make sure she's healthy after the ordeal that just happened. Mm-hmm. And working on my place, you know, and kind of enjoying being feeling like a normal person instead of just always traveling to dangerous places. You know, so I'm happy to be in Lubbock. I am starving right now. I'm looking forward to getting out of here and getting some delicious food that will involve chicken fried something and okra. And uh, and I thank you for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure, buddy. I appreciate you. Uh, next week, Queenie's going to be working the boards here by herself. And yes. we have five quality programs. This isn't just leasing, mailing it in. There's some good quality coming up this week. We're going to go ahead and post it to our podcast this weekend if you want a early uh, a sneak peek at what's coming. Uh, well, not even a sneak peek, a, a sneak uh, binging if you'd like it's all going to be there with Brandon Roddinghouse and then we go with Ross Ram- We've I did this interview with Ross Ramsey we didn't cover the news I wanted the Ross Ramsey bio how he got to where he was and then Scott Braddock who by the way is the Doogie Hauser of GEDs because he got his GED at the age 16 and I did not know that like typically you're like, okay, well, you kind of held off there. Got it at 16. He'll tell you that story. All that coming up next week here on Other Side of Texas. In between then, we're at OtherSideOfTexas.com, Other Side of Texas on Facebook, at OSTX Show there on Twitter. And hey, I'm going to be living the high life next week. The Leeson's taking off. And uh, we'll look forward to being with you another week from now.